My name is Rachel White, and people call me the Skeptical Shaman. They say it like it's a contradiction, but it's not. For more than a decade, I've been researching and building tools for the spiritually homeless. You know, the curious but critical thinking people that, like me, have had a tough time navigating a landscape of gurus and grifters and crystal heavy people, searching for a way to fill what Neil Gaiman called that God-shaped hole, all while, of course, not getting taken. As the host of the Skeptical Shaman podcast, I want to help us all develop a map of this confusing terrain. I'm going to talk to everybody, the curious, the skeptical, the cynical, and yes, even the true believers. Together, we can safely explore the world of Wu and get closer to some meaningful existential truths. This is The Skeptical Shaman. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Skeptical Shaman. I am your host and noted after-dinner raconteur, Rachel White. I am joined today by Alicia Halpin, who is one of my favorite, favorite people, practitioners, has worked with me on virtual retreats and helped several of my clients with something super important, which I would refer to unscientifically as chilling the fuck out. Of course, it's a little bit more aggressive on that. Um, so if you if you would go ahead and just introduce yourself in a more formal adult way, I think that would be helpful. Really? Well, I don't know that it's super formal or adult. I call myself a nervous system alchemist and priestess. And I love digging into understanding how our stress response is showing up as our personality. And I've been a somatic researcher, tenured professor, all of those kind of really deep academic things. And in the coaching world, the spiritual self-help psychology world, I love to be like you, a myth debunker, um, you know, swing in the illumination and kind of excavating the places where humans aren't doing such a great job of holding ourselves to a certain standard. That means we can actually heal, that we're going to evolve, and that we could maybe do better for this world than we're doing right now. Yeah, it's it's funny, you know, um, one of my clients, coaching clients, sent me the funniest little um, email. They saw a story, I want to say it's Newsweek, I'm probably butchering this, but something about like how to hack meditation as a busy person, so you don't have that much time on it, or like do it for real, or actually relax, you could just sort of find the little cheat codes. Yeah, the video game, and they sent it to me, they go, this is literally the most American thing I've totally is how to cheat at meditating. It's crazy that we think we can, like these things that are fundamental supports, like we're like, oh, I want to fundamentally support myself towards a more holistic version of myself, towards a more greater capacity. How can I do this in the easiest, the cheapest, the most sketchy way? Like, why do we do this? Why do we do this? uh, My conversation with Colleen, who's an Ayurvedic practitioner, we talked about extensively yeah. and people's addiction to convenience even if it's not that convenient right uh, this myth yeah. of convenience or you know she was working with a client who in the mornings would drive to a fast food place to get their breakfast as mm-hmm. though that's more convenient than right. writing meal pro- it's not if right. you look at every metric that you can quantitatively measure right right it's more time it's more money it's also yeah. making you ill all yeah. of these things that you've said, you, you know, you want to work on, it's all yeah. downside, no upside, but it has this patina of convenience right. to it. 
And I think in your space, one of the, I would imagine, you can correct me if I'm wrong, one of the points of resistance you meet with is people who want to get out of adrenal fatigue. Yeah. They want to get out of high cortisol levels. They want out of fight or flight, but they don't want to actually do the work, which would require them to modify their lifestyle. I mean, totally. Maybe I'm totally, but I would assume that's for not at all. And, you know, I have been on this high horse um, for a while, and I really couldn't get a lot of buy-in even until the pandemic. Like, it wasn't until we had such a global crisis of confusion and activation of our fight-flight and personal freedoms and all of these things that people were finally like, hey, that that regulation stuff, can we talk about it? And you know, and I think it, it's it's the it's an unfortunate aspect of our human nature that it takes something very painful for us to be willing to change. And I think that's one of the things we really need to mature ourselves. And it really shows that we're still in toddler phase, right? That we're not as as a species that we're very immature. You're the best person to say that to me this week. Um, <laughs> totally, all different conversations. I'm not kidding with other spiritual practitioners where right. this was the phrase where they go, we're not grown-ups yet. We're not grown-ups. We're, you know, we're kind of, yeah. And I mean, I think that's pretty, it's to me, it's pretty evident. For me, what I say is we're going to pay the cost no matter what. You're going to pay the cost up front or you're going to pay the cost on the back end. And like what you're talking about, about um, I don't want to take the time to prepare my meals. That is like, I'm, I'm unwilling to pay the upfront cost. But the back end cost of what is that doing to your gut? What is that doing to your emotional body? What is that doing? All of those different things, right? So we're going to pay a cost either way. I think that when we become more willing to step into self-responsibility, we get used to knowing I need to pay the cost up front. And even if it feels like a steep cost up front, it is so much better. It's a better deal than that back end cost. Right. Because at that point, it's leaked into all kinds of other places in our life. And it's it's just it's. Yeah. Well, and it's aggregating interest. Absolutely. Just like our national debt and everything else. Right. Getting more expensive as you hit snaps every time. What's fascinating. So I have I have a weird form of anxiety, as you know, where I handle things up front. I want to pay every bill now. I have the opposite of most people, right? I'm like, no, no, like I'm going to go get checked for this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to figure it's, it's a very funny inversion of what a lot of other people experience as anxiety. Right. One thing that struck me about what you just said though, is I reflect a lot on how our whole society is a cult. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Mark Vicente, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He has a great podcast. Yeah. WTF is on my mind with Mark Vicente. Okay. He's a Nexium survivor, whistleblower, but also filmmaker. Ooh. So he made What the Bleep Do We Know? He okay, is, I know that movie. Yep. Yeah. He's married to an actress and a really talented psychic named Bonnie. And he just did an episode where he was talking about how in a cult, if someone asks you how you're doing, you have to say, we're great. And you have to say it with like a certain kind of energy. You are right. not allowed to not be okay. You are not allowed to be tired. You're right. not allowed to display these attributes and as he was talking by the way talking about a dystopian science fiction movie called oblivion but as he was describing it i was like that's every corporate culture and i don't care what people say on linkedin or social media where they're like you could bring your whole self to work mental health awareness month all this bullshit it is bullshit because when you're in it if you are like actually i'm not okay they're like well i don't they don't want to hear that right 
that's unacceptable to them. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, yeah, it's human nature to maybe wait until we're at a breaking point. But I wonder how much of that is habituated in us by the system. Absolutely. I was just writing my newsletter for this week, and I'm writing about the urgency, the franticness, and this fawning height and, and how they're so totally. related. Yeah, yeah, they're so related. But what's crazy is that most of us, these patterns that got conditioned, that got activated us and got conditioned, that's how we find our yes. That's how we find belonging. That's how we find. So I'm in the middle of enrollment for a program. And I had a woman say to me, you know, I thought this program wasn't for me because I wasn't feeling anxious. I wasn't feeling that jazz. She called it her jazzy pizzazzy. Um, and, and she's like, and then I just realized you're not forcing me to make a decision right now. And that's why I don't feel activated. And that, that recognition that so much of all the choices she had made around her business, around her training had all come from a trauma bond. They had not come from a true centered place. Because that's not how we operate in business. That's not how we operate in the world. We expect people to show up. You care if you're stressed. You are, you want it if you're frantic. You are going to succeed if you're urgent. And it's all this way that we perform these stress responses as if it is, as if they're, I mean, I don't even, I, I don't even know if it's as if what, like it's crazy. It's crazy. Maybe it's crazy. What's yeah. fascinating to what you just said, the so fawning hype, just so everybody knows, there are four traumas and yeah. they've recently added fawn. And it mm-hmm. comes from actually an evolutionary biologist, wildlife biologist who was observing right. of all things wolves. And right. it made its way properly, I think, into the realm of like trauma recovery and psychotherapy. Right. And fawning is when you ingratiate yourself, you know, right. so it's like, let's hype her up or oh my God, you're so beautiful, or I'm, you know, yeah. this, that, neither. It's an ingratiation scheme so yeah. that your abuser doesn't abuse you. And a lot of trauma victims will go out of their way to be affectionate with their abuser so they don't get abused. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And really where I stand in trauma, looking at it from a cultural evolutionary perspective, it's about our power, our personal sovereignty. And the way that we're conditioned to not own it, not be able to embody it, because we need to either spread it out so no one finds us, like that we do not attract, we do not become prey because we are powerful, right? And how many of us have come from the remembrance of being burned or beheaded or all of the traumas that different bodies have carried because of the truth that they spoke, because of being willing, right? And so even when we're not in an abusive relationship, there is a way that we can be in fawning patterns because it's like, oh, um, let me be humble. Like our false humility. That's that's trauma. That's like a trauma response. This is all everything you're describing is social media. And it's why. I yes. It. Yeah. So right. Using corporate, we did a 360 review of the management team of which I was a member. And one of the points of feedback that came was, well, a couple of people said, you think you're better than everybody. And I said, okay, you know, I'll take that. But can I have an example or like, how are we measuring that? What's an example, an anecdote? I'll take qualitative, quantitative. Right. So they go, you know what? That's a good point. Because I said, that's a hard thing to measure. What does that mean? Came back and they said, well, every time you guys have a pipeline call or you talk or whatever, you know, 
you're always saying some fun thing you did with your weekend or a book you read or that you went to yoga and you seem really happy and healthy. And a lot of these people have children and they're struggling and they're not feeling well. And I said, right. okay, so my happiness and my refusal to participate in what you were just yes. talking about, which is yes. the feigned collective suffering right, to the false humility. So it wasn't yes. me being braggadocious. I was just I share. I chose not to have children. It's a lifestyle, right? Choice. Right. Because yeah. I don't think I would be very happy, or like yeah. that's not for me. Right. I made a lot of intentional lifestyle choices, and that comes off as you think you're better than other people. Uh, and absolutely. so, what they want is the fawn. The fawn yeah. is the glue that holds everybody together in their trauma economy. That's how they really trust you. Yes. Like, you are part of the club yeah. if you are suffering. You are part. So, you know, one of the things in my work that I think is so important is those of us who are coming from privilege, which means we're not in the type of poverty where we're hand to mouth. We yeah. are clothed, like we've got our basic needs met, right? That's the privilege of Which is about. one, we're in the 1% of the entire world. Right. That if we are sitting in that, which are most people in my world, right? We're sitting in that place. We are we are just assholes, literally just being assholes when we choose to perpetuate those type of stress responses, because there are people who are really in suffering and really in survival. And when we live at this emotional place of just refusing to mature, stepping into full responsibility for the choices that we're making, as well as being willing to support our nervous system to be healthy, it's not about being perfect and it's not about not getting triggered. Healthy nervous system means I can respond appropriately when something's in front of me. And to do that means I don't need somebody else fawning. I don't need to trauma bond with somebody else to find belonging. I don't need you to be miserable so I feel safe. The minute that stuff kicks in around me, and I didn't have language for it actually until Mark Vicente met with a woman named Ingrid Clayton. She's a psychotherapist and he interviewed mm-hmm. her for his podcast. Mm-hmm. He's a cold survivor. So this is sort of the whole thing. And The name of her book was I Believe Me or Believe in Me, I think. And the intro was like about how he met like her stepfather never really raped her and all this stuff. So it must not have been that bad. I must be fine. Mm -hmm. Then realizing that even her career and you as an academic know, you know, anytime you got a PhD for an (laughs) issue, you were in school a long time. It's not easy, right? It thought it would be, right? Was a form of phony. And even oh yes, trauma survivors, which was her her practice, her clinical practice, was her own way of fawning. Absolutely. Everything was fawning. Everything was pulling them out of the fire. And I'm I'm necessary. They need me. I'm useful. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm harmonizing them all. Like it's this whole identity she built. And so yeah. it was wild. At the end of that interview, was Mark goes, "Well, what's next for you? You're gonna write another book? You're gonna?" And she goes, "You know what? I am not answering those questions." Right. She goes, I don't I don't know. And she said, the only filter I have is how do I put more of me in my life? Yes. And she realized like this incredible, like she had achieved these very high highs in her career, right. economically, socially. She's now published, I'm, I'm assuming, best-selling author, you know, all these right. things. Yeah. And she realized none of it was intentional. It was all, to your point, an emotional, regressive yeah. Reaction to trauma. Yeah. All of it. Well, and, and so much of our personality 
is trying to get the unmet need met. And what we don't understand about the nervous system is it's working in a subtextual way. Our cognitive conscious personality is working in a storied or contextual way. The subtext will use any context, right? Yours, the subtext that that unmet need in you that's like, I am unlovable, I was unwanted, I am unseen, whatever it is. It doesn't care if it gets its need met by by being a, a PhD or having a sold out um, clinical play, you know, profession where you're burnt to the crisp and you know you're running around crazy. It doesn't care if it's getting met with having five kids where you have no capacity to take care of yourself. Like it doesn't actually care. It's just going to keep chasing, yeah, getting its need met. But until we we really dig into our nervous system, we will get those needs met in ways that are coping strategies and that are maladaptive that are ultimately like when you're thirsty drinking a coca-cola yeah right and thinking that you're gonna be satiated by that it's gonna satisfy you right and it's funny so colleen talked about you know being addicted to your dosha in ayurvedic which so for her she's very earth element heavy and she's like for me sitting on the couch feels good eating heavy food feels good sleeping a lot feels good Uh, because it's familiar Right. And sort of yes. like the Ayurvedic energy medicine version of this familiarity of trauma. Absolutely. And I think that's why so many of the people on the team were upset by me not being in their collective suffering. Right. Right. And I yeah. said to the coach, it was like, you know, these executive coaches. And I said, well, do do you think I should be less happy? Do you right. think I should be less healthy? Do you think yeah. that it will, will any anything I do in that area be enough for them? And she goes, obviously, no, no, I won't. And I go, okay, so I'm going to keep going to yoga, I think, and going on walks and doing interesting things in my weekend. And, you know, and I never judge people for not doing those things, by the way. But also, I think what you're describing, which is having the unmet need met thing. I don't know. Well, I know what happened to me in childhood. And I went to cognitive behavioral therapy at a very early age of five. Heart. Oh, wow. 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 I was full OCD by four yeah oh wow. ritual light switches like the whole fucking thing yeah and i it's wild that i don't ever seek having my needs met by other right. where it pertains to like my shamanic practice or work and i think it's why people don't like me yeah because I, I don't something do the kissy kissy yeah love. like if i compliment you alicia and i have before yeah. that is yes. full-on <laughs> honest and spontaneous yeah yeah. But but what's beautiful is like because my nervous system isn't also moving from that trauma place, I can actually receive your words fully. Right. I always do beautiful things behind you. Don't think I didn't notice Cersei. <laughs> when did Cersei show up? Do you know what I mean? Like I see her and like I notice these things. And when compliments are real, they're so much more meaningful. And I think everything right. else, doesn't it feel a bit like usury, energetic, psychological, emotional usury? Well, and we, you know, and so many of us go, and for me, like I had a story for years, like, oh, I can't take a compliment. I'm not great at taking a compliment. There was some truth to that. Absolutely. There was my own unworthiness in there. And also, as I healed my fawning pattern, I was like, oh, I couldn't take that compliment because it was a lie. They didn't actually feel that. I couldn't trust them. Right. So my nervousness was actually giving me really wise information that this person is untrustworthy. They're lying. Not necessarily that what they said was a lie, but they themselves are not coming from an authentic place, which makes it they a lie. They may not even know it's a lie. 
They don't know it's a lie. They are so disconnected from themselves, which I think is one reason why people being disconnected from themselves, why people who are connected are very triggering. I mean, how many times do you and I have to hear, oh, you're so intimidating? I'm not intimidating. By the way, when we are in this and you're trying to figure out the echo, I was eating yogurt. I had intimidating. No, in (laughs) we're just we're just authentic, right? And so for someone who's afraid of being seen because they don't know how to see themselves, it's triggering. That's wild. I never thought of it. it Yeah. It's not because I'm intimidating. It's just because I've come from a more authentic, connected place. Not that I don't have my own struggles. I'm absolutely a reason majority too, right? Yeah. But I think that, you know, a lot of a lot of my clients, a lot of the people I work with come to me with their places of what we're what we're actually doing in their nervous system is excavating the place where they've learned to coat themselves over, hide themselves because they were too much. Yeah. And they were told they were too intimidating or they're trying to make themselves really palatable or relatable in their work. When the truth is they're freaking trailblazers. They are igniters. They're initiators. And that idea that we're supposed to be relatable basically is a code for dim yourself down. Let's all fall to the mediocre middle and let's uphold this culture of suffering. Together. Together. Or at least we'll be together. And you know, we'll be miserable miserable together. Part of it too is I think so many people just are terrified of taking up space by existing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's super baseline stuff. Yeah. It's not even about doing a TED talk or anything else. Like, you know, they don't even want to be present in their own lives or their own businesses because they feel like they're stepping on someone's, some non-existent person's toes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, our ability to work with space comes through our parasympathetic side and it's the side that is modern people we have the least access to, right? We get honored for our sympathetic selves, like the, the, the creative output self. This parasympathetic part of us that's like in the, I'm just going to get a little technical here. It's in the horizontal yeah. axis um, of self. And it's about how do I inhabit the full me? And that gets taken away from us almost immediately as children. Right. And and the way that we are then operated or or like conditioned into society, into schooling. So nobody really has this. If you have it, it's because you're fighting for it, which yeah. in one way is great. Like that's a step up, but it's still going to burn you out. It's still going to fry you out when you're having to fight for your place. And you're still going to go some- back and forth on. Am I asking? Is it okay? truly? Yeah, exactly. exactly. You know, can I do this? Oh, maybe I should just be quieter. All of those things, right? I've had all those conversations with myself. So what I think is, it's like, it is an epidemic actually in our society that we are afraid of power, right? We're afraid of personal power, which is why we've got governments that suppress us, that have all of this dark, shady shit going on, Mm -hmm. because we as the people, right, don't know how to be in our power. And so we want to offload it to somewhere else. And then we want to have these micro fights about stupid things that we're calling power, yeah. right? And and the real issue is every single person has a space and place at a time in their life on this planet. And there is time and space for all of us. And we have to come into an understanding that mm-hmm. as a collective, what it means to be interrelated is to have everyone has their space. 
right? And that is, yes, somewhat literal. And also there's something more mystical here as I'm talking about space, right? It's not just about the literal space of inhabiting, but we all can practice literally inhabiting space. And that's going to help us open up to this more mystical, mysterious aspect of how do I find my space in the cosmic? How do I find my space in the all, right? Yeah. And no wonder society wants to beat that out of you before it has a chance to take root in Germany. There is nothing scarier than people who know who they are. Yeah. Right? I think it's interesting you mentioned all these microfights because I, I cannot, I so desperately miss the days of not talking about social or political issues. Right. Things were so much more interesting. And I don't mean to say like, I'm not ignorant to the world and I yes. understand there are issues that matter and all of that, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I'm not saying like, I can't wait to be selfish, whatever again, but truly having interesting dialogues with individuals, yeah, not on devices in life, one-on-one, like you and I are talking. This is way, way more rewarding for me. Better for society, better for everybody, all of the above. Social media has done nothing but denigrate each and every individual and us as a collective. And from a nervous system perspective, can you just tell everyone the demilitarized dystopian landscape (laughs) they are they are inviting into their system every time they fight with people on social media? Please, please just let them know it's not good for them, if you don't mind. It's not only is it not good, it's basically like, you know, what do they say? The You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and expecting a different result, right? And there's also that aspect of like drinking the poison and thinking that it's going to hurt somebody else. Yes. I think finger that's is like drinking the poison, thinking it's going to kill someone. Else. Totally. Totally. You know, and I, and I think that there's a lot of that on social media that we think, first of all, why does why is everyone so addicted to their opinions like and why is this a functional way for our society to move forward it's not it's like the least functional thing we could do not that our opinion is not have an opinion about it's okay to not have an opinion in fact i welcome it i welcome less opinions here's the thing people ask me stuff all the time like what do you know about this and i'm like i don't know anything about that i don't have an opinion about that it doesn't live in my world it's not something you know and so i think that you know that Marcus Aurelius said to live yeah. the way you're living, by the way? He yeah. said it's very important to not cultivate an opinion about everything. Exactly, right? It's just I don't I don't have the I can't operate that way. And and I just don't want to be that tied up into all of these mm-hmm. things. But I also think again, we've forgotten that we're here to be a collective. We've forgotten that we're here to be a tribe or here to be a community. I don't have to know everything. Right. Right? Because I can go ask the cook, you know, or you know, you're you're my flower essence woman. Like, okay, which one do I need for this? I don't have to research all of that, right? However, if you don't know how to live in integrity with people, that's when you have to do everything by yourself, right? So I think that social media is fostering this real sense of like hyper-independence and this real rigidity of thinking that is very actually limited and shallow and is not about creating a collective consciousness that's raising us up. It's not about listening to difference of opinion in a way that sparks my own curiosity. It's about arguing a point that we really don't know anything about, right? And I think that the divisiveness keeps our eye off of everything that's actually happening. And it means that it keeps our stress responses active in a way that we are getting all kinds of neurochemicals 
feeling all kinds of self-righteousness, feeling all kinds of sense of self that's really flimsy and really unhealthy. And don't you think that the anxiety and the fear, particularly the last three years, it really, I don't know the science of this. You might. So please opine if you do. But I have heard from many experts, it shuts off executive function in the brain, particularly. So in other words, like critical thinking literally dims and they've measured it based on how afraid you're feeling. Is that absolutely a neurochemistry thing? Yeah, absolutely. And the easy way to think about it is sort of like being on a seesaw. And we've got this mid part of our brain that is um, all about survival and registering fear and keeping us safe and protected. And then we've got another part of our brain that's really about um, higher executive functioning where we can see more big picture, we can see visionary, we can access things more like curiosity, gratitude, appreciation. And it allows us to take creative risk, right? Because creation is risky. It's not guaranteed, right? And when we're in this, what we might call the limbic part of our brain or this fight flight part of our brain, we are calculating and we are fearful and we are closed and we are protected because we're trying to survive. So the aspect that's true and right about this is it helps us to survive. Thank goodness. Great. We need that sometimes. But when we're living there, which we are as a species and we're the most of the individual people that we're going to encounter are. What that means is the cognitive dissonance is wild because the reticular activating system or the part of our brain that's filtering information that makes matches that goes, oh, yeah, right. When you get the red car, you see all the red cars, right? So when you think you're right, you see all the rightness to what you're thinking that you're right about. And there's a part of your brain that is designed to act that way. So if you don't have access to curiosity, if you can't be open to different ideas, different types of experiences, you literally will only see and experience what you have determined is right. It's wild. This is what's happening. It's crazy. And so, you you know, you can pass the polygraph of like, you believe this, right? Because of the protection. What's crazier about this is this part of our brain is efficient and effective. It works almost always pre-consciously, which means we're not making a lot of conscious choices. It gets into autopilot and it goes and it goes and it goes. Ingrid live off Doritos, no complete. sleep, Coke. What'd you say? Very complete. Almost yes. like the uh, the religious certain fervor. Right, yeah. Yes. It just can spiral and can spiral and can go and can go and go. It doesn't need great resources. We don't have to be well slept. We don't have to be eating good food. We can be, co- right? So our stress system at this place is designed to keep us alive with very little resources, with very good, with very little nourishment, with very little nurturing. And it goes 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 and it goes. But while it's going, the other things that are happening, things in the body start to break down. Right? The mitochondria begin to become less healthy. Uh, the charge and the actual life force that we can hold in our body becomes very low. Right? So the other part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex that has this higher executive functioning is a energy hog. It's a diva. It wants to sleep. Yep. It wants good, healthy food. It wants to be nourished. It wants nature. You know, so it's really there's there is this place in our evolution that we're sort of like, are we going to live in our lower nature or are we going to live in our holistic nature, which invites our stress response to integrate in a way that's adaptive. But we're we're moving from nourishment. 
you know, when you describe the frontal lobe, it sounds like it thinks it's better than everybody else. You know, it kind of does. <laughs> it kind it kind of goes, you know what? Your crazy energy um of this this dysfunction. I think this might be more fun. And I think you this know, might I be deserve a good night's sleep and I like it. Not- and this is nice and this is nice and it's pretty and i like it and it feels good and it's fun yeah that's the part of us that thinks it's better than survival that's funny that you just (laughs) out of words of that are really funny i'm a i'm a real slut for sleep i don't know many people who sleep more than me and i'll talk about it people are like are you like okay medically and I'm like, yeah, no, I just really like sleep. And they're like, yeah, but you know that's not good for you. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure it's pretty sure my body sure it's good for me. Um, if funny. I went without the alarm, I could sleep honestly sometimes 13, 14 hours. Not every night, yeah, obviously. Yeah, there are times yeah. when, and I love sleep. Like I sleep, I'm so happy to go to sleep. When I wake up in the morning, I'm so happy. I was just sleeping, you know. And and as a shaman, you know, it's funny because the work shamans do the work you do it yeah. it really demands that you sleep you eat well etc and i wonder if all of that is not just energetic protection and self-care is these rudimentary things but if it's actually my brain and yes. my nervous system going hey if you want to keep doing this wild shit out here yes. this is frontal lobe this is how you you don't have a choice and you don't have a choice. Absolutely. I would say I I constantly treat myself as if I'm recovering from the spiritual flu. Yeah. Because I still forget how much tax all of the work that I do is on my body. I still forget even after all these years, even after teaching it over and over and over again, I still overpush my body and I overtax it. I demand that it holds a lot of energy. We do a lot of work. I'm holding a lot of people. And so for me, I have to keep remembering my body gets to slow down. We get to rest and and it's, and that, you know, the longer that I've done this, the more that those types of, I call it gold space in my calendar. It's like that, that, that is scheduled just like client sessions get scheduled. Because if I don't have that space, I actually can't show up fully and I can't do it. And so I, I think that the beautiful part of us recognizing when you step into your dharma, when you step into the fullness of your work, it does require you to up-level the parts of your life that you might be willing to slide back. I am totally willing. I am not a slut for sleep. I am totally willing to be like, eh, let's do some more stuff. And so I have to have like a real strong commitment to supporting my body because otherwise it's it's going to fall apart. And this is where the wounded healer comes in, that we can get really addicted to our self-martyrdom in our work. And it, it is part of the, that falling pattern, too, of like, oh, they need me so much. I can't say no. I can't take care of myself. But then we're back to the same place that, you know, it, it, you know, thinking that that it's like the inverse of that place of like think, those people thinking that you think you're better because you go to yoga. We can take that on in ourselves and our own work and think like, oh, I'm better because I'm doing more hours or I didn't go to bed last night, I pulled it all lighter, or I took on six extra clients, even though I didn't have the space, all of those things. That's not, that's, that's actually our repressive phonic. You know, what? it's an implosion of it. Of those habits was corporate. It wasn't this. It's the story. So when I was in corporate and I would watch people who pulled all nighters and they talked about it and talked about it, their whole thing was this very like almost culturally Japanese kind of collective suffering, this very performing collective suffering. Yeah. And I 
came in to, to co-manage this team and I realized like, oh, they were rewarded for this. Yeah. Or they stayed safe if they did yeah. this. Like, oh, well, they just pulled an all-nighter. I can't, whatever. Yeah. And I, we had a meeting. I said, just, you know, if you pulled an all-nighter and you didn't ask any of us for help and you didn't plan in advance, something went very wrong there. Right. Like there are so many people working here and right. we can help you. There should yeah. never, except for a true emergency, right, an all-nighter. And I go, and you will not get rewarded for it. And the other yeah. thing is if you looked at their work, it was abysmal, right? And people who didn't work that quote hard, who slept, who whatever, it took them less time to work. Right. Their work was better. It was more, yeah. as a lot of this is writing and assimilating yeah. content, right? You need what part of the brain? The diva. The diva's got to show up. That's the diva's got to create. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the running joke in this house, have you ever seen the Phantom Thread? Uh-uh. Oh, you've got to see it. Daniel Davis is amazing. But he like has he's nuts basically but he has a routine right okay. and this girlfriend wants to surprise him and it's like he feels attacked he says this there's this famous dinner scene where he's like have I been dropped behind enemy lines like this whole thing <laughs> and he comes to dinner in pajamas but with a cravat and a jacket I have come to dinner at my own dining room table obviously not in public in I wear old man pajamas like I look like a, <laughs> a patient inpatient somewhere they're white. They're Brooks thread spot. And so when we were watching that movie, my husband like looked at me like, Oh my God, I know that person. And you know, we're having an event here in September for the Equinox and Colleen's coming and Britt. Yeah. They're gonna see some people. And I'm like, they're not ready for my bedtime. They're not ready for seeing me at seven thirty at night in like house slipping out getting getting ready for this yeah. to happen. But it's I can't do what I do well if I don't do that. And yeah. to this point, like where we're talking about, like you and I, because we do this work, we have to live the work. There's really yeah. no, there's no bullshitting, honestly, yeah. but there are people who bullshit. And yeah. that is a constant theme that I like to yeah. talk about with people that are yeah. genuine, ethical, accredited, skilled people such as yourself, which is yeah. this idea that you can hack or cheat meditation or that you can just maybe do ketamine once and continue to F yourself and torture yeah. yourself. And, you know, that ketamine therapy was a big breakthrough. I don't have to do that again for another three years. And my biggest concern right now, because of things like Nexium and, and Jonestown and Scientology and all these really, really, truly gnarly cults is yeah, people going and getting hypnotized by non-hypnotherapists. People are not certified. They're not medically medical board it's everywhere and then oh. somehow despite the nexium story and the documentary the vow people still thinking neurolinguistic programming is you know inherently ethical um that it's benevolent and that someone using this persuasive technique with you is for your benefit so <laughs> if you could talk about that a little bit you know uh oh my gosh yeah oh so these are places like where I'm like, oh, I'm so sheltered. I I, I didn't know that we were going to get hypnotized. Um, this is crazy. So almost every retreat, all this other stuff, self-hypnosis. Really? Yeah, and a lot of oh. life coaches are are hypnotizing people and doing guided yeah. meditations. But it's really yeah. hypnosis with NLP. A lot of it's right. um, what I would call like abundance or manifestation doctrine, gospel yeah. stuff too. Like I'm going to manifest. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what, what I will see that I think is really 
interesting just to add into this mix, and by interesting, I mean scary and wrong, um, is coaches who do not understand how the brain works. They do not have any actual training doing meditations, like trying to lead meditations, right? Because it is, I mean, I'm not, I am not trained to do surgery. So I'm not going to go into someone's body and be like, oh, let me fix that bone. Right. Because uh, I don't know anything about, I mean, I've seen pictures of the bones, but that's mm-hmm. it. Right. And so there's no way me seeing a picture of that bone qualifies me. There's no way me having had a broken bone qualifies me to work yeah. on someone else's broken bone. Right. So I think there's this real interesting thing in the coaching world that it's like, if I experienced it myself, then I must be able to to lead it. And to, I can only work in someone's thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So for it's those crazy. Know, the Dunning-Kruger effect is you're good at something, but then you immediately extrapolate that competency, the circle of it out to apply to other things that it doesn't apply to. It doesn't so apply to. If you've ever heard the phrase, like, you're the smartest dumb person I know, <laughs> it's it might be Dunning-Kruger effect. And yeah, the understanding that just because I've had an experience, this is like a trauma version of it. You're, right. you're blowing my mind right now. Yeah, I had, because, you know, I was abused as a child. Mm. I'm not a psychotherapist. Mm. I don't offer any of that. Once a, a session even starts to touch, I'm like, you right. got to go see a therapist. I am not right. you want to work with on this for a variety yeah. of reasons. Yeah. Right. And and some of those reasons being like, that's what you choose not to do, right? I think the other thing is like, we there, there's some kind of we're proving in the coaching world and in the spiritual self-help world that's like i have to, i have to be able to do all of this yeah and rather well, than be like oh this just scarcity and feeling like they need to diversify in every conceivable area it is i imagine somebody's teaching it too and again like i didn't know we were doing hypnosis so i don't exactly know what's going on in these yeah. coaching trainings but i imagine there's some sort of 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 aspect of like either copying someone that they think is doing all of that. I think too, what we see a lot is that people go into business, they get something that's working for them and then they have some kind of spiritual experience. And then they decide to bring that into their coaching when that they're not trained to lead in the psycho spiritual realm. They don't understand the subconscious realm in a way that they should be guiding others. It's, it's really to me, like there's a lot of harm that's happening in in these spaces and that we I it's like I, I wrestle with things I'm like I don't want to be the one who's like the, like on my you know out with my bullhorn like stop doing it by the way but at the same time like <laughs> why am I not saying this so you know I think that there is there's ethical questions that have to be answered in an unregulated industry that are not even being asked and we're not doing do checks and with in our in our own stuff like we're signing up for these things because we're fighting because we want to we want this person to like us because we want to be like them because we want to ride on their coattails of, of of their popularity or all these things that is your subconscious unmet programming driving your personality and that that's the kind of shit you need to pay attention to why am i signing why would i put myself in this position to let someone else have this power over me I mean, like, what is it that's shaman- lacking in me? Yeah. I- I'll tell clients shamanic journey meditations. I always say to them, whether it's a, a single client or a room of people, 
Uh-huh. I go, I'm not going to talk a lot. And there's a reason for it. So if you go to anything like this and there's a bunch of talking, it's a red flag. And I go, you're going to be in a theta wave state. And you're right. Right. And similar to lucid dreaming. You are highly, highly impressionable in the yes. theta wave state. So right. what I'm going to do is hand you the keys to your own car, your own brain. Right. You are right. going to, if you want to put a plant a seed in your own brain, Right. You want to look at things, you want to give that to yourself, that's on you. Yeah. And you yeah. doing it to you is way safer than me doing yeah. it. So you're going to hear me set this up. I say nothing. Then you hear me call you back. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And that's so beautiful, big talking about that impressionable place. And I think what I wish more practitioners and clients understood is there's also a place where we're impressionable at the subtle level where your nervous system is always listening and it's always taking in information. It's listening to yourself. It's listening to the other people and it's listening to the environment. And when we are in these impressionable states, when we're in these vulnerable places and we do not understand how we're listening or what we're listening for, and we just begin to take in information. Again, I work with people who are highly sensitive an impasse. And they're like, why am I going through this? And I'm like, because you took on everyone else's impressions. You've got all of these imprints in your system and all these codes and beliefs in your system that you didn't even realize were there because you were allowing yourself to be created upon, really. You know, you're, you're taking in other people's ideas and impressions. And as a facilitator, we need to understand it's not just what we say. Our subconscious is involved in that session. Yes. And when and that's why have an agenda, manipulative. It's so manipulative because it is then me pushing into someone else's field my own agendas. You, it would be like, Eight. well, Alicia, you know what you said there was so interesting to me. I mean, I can I can smell NLP. I swear to God, I'm so triggered by it. Because I grew up with so much narcissistic, coercive yeah. control nonsense. Yeah. And yeah. it's funny. There's all these names for it. And I'm like, oh, I know it. This is just abuse. This is someone manipulating you. Like, let's it's just talk about attacks. And, and I think people like, go, well, I'll be more persuasive. It'll be good for my business. I go, you could also learn how to steal from people. And that would be good for a bit. Like, it's a, it's immoral. Yeah. But I think it's it's... If- the people like the people who are doing it and know they're immoral like i don't even have a i don't even have anything to say about that like that's just right where the people that i want to talk to are the people who do not recognize the ethical line they're crossing those are the people that i i want to wake up because if you're if you're if you're corrupted enough that you think it's a good idea to influence others and to jack their system i great we're just not living in the same world but if you are on that fence where you're like, this is going to help me get my clients, is going to help me transform my clients, is going to help me, that's the place where you're the same thing about the meditation hack. You're trying to take the shortcut yeah. towards the journey that you're meant to be leading. There's something about you that has not come deep enough into your own nervous system to hold the transformational work in a way that you don't need to have an agenda about it. So here's things that like when you... Are you, so here's one thing that you and I bonded over was somebody using uh, somebody like touting out their client's success as theirs. Yeah. Right. Right. Actually, and, you know, the exact example. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. 
And and I was like, hey, tell me about that. You know, like what's going on there? And you're like, no, not participating in that anymore. And so for me, there's this way that it's like part of what's going on in the coaching world that has people going like, oh, I better do the NLP. I better do the hypnosis. I better do the guided meditations when I don't know how to leave meditation is this idea that if I can't pinpoint someone else's success, if I can't steal my client's success and say, I did this, the reason that they have this is because of me, right? That's stealing someone else's success. And this is what the, this is why the coaching world is predicating these types of bad tactics and bad ethics, right? Like when I'm teaching someone at the university level, I have outcomes. These are the outcomes we're headed for in this class, right? This is what ideally you're going to be able to do at the end of that. But us getting to that outcome is an entire journey that has a lot of variables. Some of the variables I can't control. That is the same when I'm in a coaching session or in a relationship with my clients. There are outcomes we're headed towards. But those outcomes need to be tempered with the idea of who is sitting right in front of me? Who am I leading this journey? And what are the variables, some of which we can control, some of which we can't. But if I am taught that the way that I'm going to be successful is to steal the success of my clients, I'm going to have this weird pressure on myself that requires me to be unethical, either in my marketing or in my work with someone around how we're getting these results. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny you say that because the other thing that just struck me is you love what you do. And you love it because you you had your own journey in this space and you had to find your own medicine. Not in a not in like a platitude way, like a very real way. And you became obsessed with a topic and an area and it interests you every day. The work the work is a good enough in and of itself, right? Very Aristotle. Of yeah. You. I wonder how many people are being intentional about what they're doing. So they hear like NLP is effective, like, oh, I have to do that. But do you even find it interesting? Do you know how it works? Right. I don't know that a lot of people sit back and and apply the filter of like, who am I? Yeah. Where's my space going to be? What am I passionate about? Yeah. It's weird, Uh, right? It it is. And it's, it's actually one of the things, I love that you bring this up because it's actually one of the things that fuels me in my teaching of nervous system. Because why I think this is essential and why I think this can actually change the coaching industry and the facilitation industry to become something ethical we can trust is if we're working from the nervous system, all we're doing is learning to partner with what's already happening in our system. We're not adding in other frameworks. We're not manipulating the way our system works. We're learning to partner with what the wisdom of our biology and our neurology and our subtle anatomy and energy bodies are already doing, yep. right? And that's, for me, why it is the most essential, fundamental, and trustable way of working with someone, right? Because I do not need to manipulate you. I need to understand what's happening in you. I don't need to push you out your comfort zone. I need to understand why you're in that comfort zone to begin with, right? And yeah. so coaching ends up manipulating and distorting and contorting when we aren't understanding how to work with the true person, the whole person in front of us. That's right? what it's we just, Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Everything I do at Totem is ancient. Exactly. I was going to say, it's this moment, right? It's coming we'll back to the truth of it. They're like, you innovate. I go, no. I made a tarot deck. That shit's old. I make flowers and says this shit's been around for thousands of years. I don't, I don't change anything about how they're made. 
Yeah. You know, like you're it's so you're infusing it with your creation. Right. Like, this is this is what people are so afraid of. Right. And I think this is where in the in the coaching industry, what people seeking out originality without being creative actually has them manipulating truth. Right. So yeah. it's like these things, if if we if we understand there's nothing original, we don't need to be original. We need to be creative. It's not that deep, folks. It's really simple. Right. You know, you just and, and, those goddamn cooking videos that are disgusting. Which so like people are aiming for virality and this quote originality, but making something go viral. Like I want to have a right. like, a moment. I want my cooking right. to be whatever version of viral that is. And they'll like they cook things in their bathroom seat. It's disgusting. <laughs> and they're like, this is an easy way to do this. It's like, no, it's not. My husband's a chef. And there's a guy, he's a goddamn genius. He's a gift from the baby Jesus for all of us. His name is Chef Reactions. And he just very monotone. It's like, someone will be like, this is delicious. And he goes, no, it's not. And he just comments on it. And the irony of him going viral, I'm happy he has. But people are aiming for spectacle and yes. splash. And yes, something that's original and new and so new da, da 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 and there's no need for it there's no need for it and and you know it's interesting even in my own work with the nervous system of like there's times when i'm like trying to find the vocabulary and all of these things and i'll catch myself making something up and then i'm like okay simplify it simplify it the work is complicated enough human is complicated enough i don't need to add to that and when I don't need to add to it, I actually get this beautiful gift of being creative in my own essence and yeah. letting my voice and my 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 original nature be there because I'm not trying to be original, right? So there's a subtle difference here. And that's what, I mean, I love, I, I use my totem flower essences every day. I, I absolutely love them. And I think one of the reasons I have, because I've used flower essences before, but I have like a real relationship with with the totem ones well thank and you. i think it's yeah they, yeah it's I, I'm made in a factory it's made i the way I made them thousands of years ago yeah totally but there's also this way that you and your creativity with them what i can feel is each one has their own life right and that you because you're just creating through what's already here and, and listening to what the essence wants to come through it's it has this this vibrancy right and i think that's true in my work when someone's like oh they've done all this nervous system work and all of these things and it's like they they start working with me and it's like it's not that i'm talking about i'm still talking about fight flight freeze and fall <laughs> yeah I'm still talking about those things but i'm not making it more complicated it's complicated enough but a vibrancy can come through because i'm allowing myself to create through what's already here in a way that i get to express and you didn't have to color code the Fs. You didn't have to add a fifth or sixth F. French fries. I, yeah. I have developed a phonic, phoning theory. Um, and that's something I'm really excited about. But I think it's 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 a development that is is necessary for it to evolve. And that's what my yeah. nervous, the nervous system is really about. So, By the way, thanks for what you said about the flower essences. The funny thing I've realized is you and I both, and I think this is true, I'm you know, running through the archive of everybody else that I respect, a lot of it's getting out of the way. Yeah. Like yes. it, when I work with a client, it's not about me. When I'm making flower essences, it's not about me. I'm not yeah. goddamn special. It's about the flower yeah. essences. 
And the other thing yeah. I realized, though, I might have a little crisis here. I might have to call you for a session <laughs> is I'm wondering if totem is like the missionary position of shamanism. And is that even bad? Did the missionary position get us through much of human history? It's much of human history, right? Like it serves its purpose. <laughs> yeah. Is that so yeah. bad? I, it's not. And I'm curious. I'm curious what you're feeling around it, though. Like, it's like, I, you know, sometimes I keep my socks on. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't that just more honest? And also, like, you know, I, I just maybe I thought of that because everybody with with OnlyFans, I just saw a very interesting debate about uh-huh. OnlyFans that I really appreciated. And the guy who was kind of like wanting to sound a little bit of an alarm was he's a man. He's a single man. And he's quite uh-huh. attractive and all these things. And his big thing is he thinks it's a cheat. He thinks it's a cope. And you're yeah. you're actually shorting yourself from other things as a man or whatever. But the pursuit of novelty and going viral and all this stuff, it's pervading politics, sex, pornography, like everything's super heightened, exaggerated, weird on purpose to get attention. Yeah. And it's like, maybe we all need a week with, you know, with missions on and missionary lights. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay too, right? Why is everything, this is part of the just hyper stimulation of everything. Well, what I was going to say is I really think that we we don't understand the magic of consistency, right? And I think that there's something like we can follow the habit and a lot of us have habits, but we're not bringing the magic of the consistency there. And so we're always chasing the next thing. I am definitely like have lived in the shadow of the seeker where I am chasing the next peak experience. I'm chasing my next high. I'm chasing my next, you know, being a performer as well. Like it was all about get the show, get the show, get the show. And I really learned to live from that kind of urgent place. And it's taken a lot of my curriculum. My personal curriculum is like find the magic in the dishes, find the magic in sorting the socks, find the beauty and the bliss in like clearing the counter. And I'm not great at sort of normal household things. That's not what I'm saying. There's something about learning to tend the basic building blocks of your life from a very magical, connected, and really beautiful place that actually changes those moments from being in the survival system to being a nourishment and an opening into a fuller place of living. And I think that Peak experience is meant to give us new information. But when we get that new information, if we don't make it consistent, bite-sized information that we're living out, then the peak experience actually has no place in our life. You know, it's funny you bring up housework. I used to have uh, cleaning people when I worked full-time in corporate and I did totem every week. I mean, I only worked every day. And I have a dog who sheds like crazy. So the main thing was dog hair, right? Right. (laughs) But... When I when I transitioned this full time, I made a promise to myself because this was always a thing that I was always going to enjoy cleaning my own house. Yeah, because every time I had someone over to clean, I was like, "This is weird, right? Yeah. Like I should clean yeah. my own house, I'm a grown person." So <laughs> I hate it. Okay, yeah. but when I do it, one thing I've realized is it's both humbling, like it it does something to you energetically, yeah. spiritually. Like, oh yeah. I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm an animal. 
I right? should. I have to, anyone who have to have this is like the detritus of human existence. Human. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's one thing to pick up the dog poop, which I do every day. It's another thing when it's your own. But then the other piece that you're talking about, so it's both humbling, but it's also like exalting in the sense of like doing this work as a part of the joy of like the Zen of life. Yes. And there's no such yes. thing as a banal mundane yes. activity if you yes. do it with intention. And I wonder yes. if in our pursuit and addiction of an addiction to convenience. Yeah. How many yeah. things like that we've gotten out of and how addicted we've gotten to the peak experience and the, the viral, whatever, like, you know, I'll have friends call me and they're like, Hey, do you know, the new thing is, uh, is like, you know, Molly with these plant ceremonies. I'm like, I'm not doing this. Like, I'm not, if you've ever microdosed mushrooms every day, you know, it's enough. Like, <laughs> And and so it's just this, I, I don't have that thing in me to pursue, 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 other than to read or explore intellectually. And yeah, when at the time someone's talking about it, it's pretty much over anyway, that sort of junk, cultural junk food or mm-hmm. world of woo candy, you're hungry again. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think in the spiritual world, I think it's one of the biggest trappings um, of thinking that there's going to be the next right practice, the next right festival, the next right retreat, the next right coach or, or all of those things. And, and you know, I really, I just, I don't think that is actually going to evolve us. I don't think that's going to take us deeper. And also for my own self, I'm just not interested in spirituality or self-help that is about chasing and seeking things that take transcendence that move it out of this dimension. I think that if we came here to be in a body, then let's fucking be in the body and let's get really comfortable in the discomfort of being in this human body. And I just think transcendence as a way of dissociating and bypassing from the actual journey that we're here means that a lot of us are repeating this human journey. I mean, so one of the things I say to people is like, how many lives do you need? How many more lives do you need on this? Yeah. Right. Are we done with this? Are we going to like, are we going to wake up and just get on with inhabiting our full nature in this body? Or are we just going to keep fucking about until the planet has to do something to wake us up in a, like, are we not getting the message? What's funny is everyone I know who does this, you know, I'm going to go to five or six D. I'm going to ascend. I'm going to activate my star codes in my latent DNA and all that stuff. None of them have mastered even the beginnings of their own nervous system management, right? Exactly. Life. And yeah. my, you know, Pablo Picasso said it, and I used to say it to people, you know, when I was in corporate, which is, you know, you can break the rules. That's cool. That's called innovation. You've right. got to learn the rules first. And yeah. We are here, and I've had clients in me, well, just, you know, you know, I'm a, an Etruscan star. See, they made that one up, just so no one gets And I'm like, cool, but you're a person right now. But you're a person but, right so now. So we're going we're gonna to do person, yeah. and that's all interesting. Yeah. But you, let's say that's all true. You made a conscious yeah. choice at a soul level to come into a human body in this yeah. moment in time. It matters. Like, there's something, there's a wisdom in this. Mm. And it's it's very fairy tale to yeah. and this is was my primary issue with growing up Catholic was it's all about what happens when you die. 
And I found that right. very depressing that we've right. already given up on yes. this world and this life. And this is yeah. all shit. And then you die. And then then if you're lucky, you might enjoy it. And right. that's wild to me. And yeah. to me, this whole like new agey, star CD, transcending, spiritual bypassing thing is like a new kind of Catholic faith, except they charge more money. <laughs> Even when the Catholic Church was tithing, it wasn't that steep. Do you know what I mean? They had, they had more people, so. They had more control you know, of people. They didn't have so. economies of scale, and they did have a good <laughs> chokehold on the market. You're not, they did. You're not wrong. So you're not wrong. They're a funny group of people. Well, if you had to leave listeners with, you know, a tip, a trick, or maybe a couple of bullet points, something for them to bear in mind, just with their own nervous system regulation, you know, how to work with it, what to look for, what would you give them that you think is actionable? Day one. Um, day one, I would say develop a relationship with your breath so that you're both able to use your breath as, you know, sort of your own personal alarm system of like, oh, I'm not breathing. Um, hello, I'm not in my body. I'm not here. I'm not present. I'm not feeling. But also in ways of then how do I support myself? So I think developing a relationship with your breath is key. I think the simplest way to work with your nervous system before you've done any depth work is to think about your three centers, belly, heart, and head. Are they aligned? Are you able to be in all three of them? Do you listen to them? And if you listen and they're always speaking in English or whatever your dominant language is, you're not listening, you're controlling. And how do you know the language of your belly? How do you know the language of your heart? And even how do you know the language of your head, which you might assume again is your dominant language, but maybe it's not. So I think learning to listen to your system and then I would say three, pick practices that work for you. Yes, meditation's great. Yes, all of these different things are great. But really what matters, most modalities, they're not all created equal, but they're, most modalities are good enough. Find some modalities you like, but recognize that it's not the modality that's doing anything. It's not going to save you. It's not actually regulating you. The modality can't regulate you. It is your relationship to yourself and your work through a practice that begins to shift your regulation. And your coach can't fix you. Your coach can't fix you. Oh, they can. Not going to fix you. Not going to fix you. No. No, honey pumpkins. It is up to us to wake up to our sovereignty and to get into relationship with it. And, and it's hard to and, do. It's hard to have agency. It's hard. It is. It is hard. And that's why we, that's why it's a whole journey of a whole lifetime of awakening into it. It's not a once and done thing. But I think what's so beautiful is that we can have partnership with coaches and clients and mentors and teachers. We can have relationship to information in books, to inspiration through movies and films. Yeah. These can be part of our allies, but it takes our willingness to say, this is my lie. I matter and I will do something amazing with it by feeling, by listening, by loving. And we're obviously going to link to all your stuff in the show notes. But I would encourage people, seriously think about reaching out to Alicia. I, I'm, I'm dead serious. I've not done this before. I may not do this again. If only because I have seen, you know, the first big layoff. And trust me, a lot of those are coming. They've They're been coming. But a lot are yeah. coming. Yeah. Or the first time a man experiences a bit of estrogen during andropause, right. i.e. life crisis, yeah. Or the first time someone realizes their their social drinking has really gotten out of hand, they have to get sober and they're in their 50s yeah. or 60s. I have watched, mainly because of my experience in corporate, people's lives collapse 
because they were like wily coyote running off the cliff. And as long as they yeah. didn't down, they weren't going to yeah. fall, but you fall. Yeah. yeah. At some point, your copings are going to break down. Yes. And sometimes that shows up in the external in a huge event. And sometimes it just shows up in our internal life of like, I can't go on anymore. Yeah. So at some point, you're going to get confronted with your nervous system. Yeah. And, we're <laughs> and I'm sick for you. And our, it, we're all sick because our society it exploits us. I'm not Absolutely. as you think. Unest. So don't worry, I'm not going full Che on you guys. But it does. I mean, it's about either you're you're productive or you're consuming. And yeah. you know, that's the human biometric system. That's the product yeah. and yeah. service. And so, you know, if you're not getting a handle on this, it will blow up in your face at some yeah. point. And it's something I have to work on every day. Like I got into a back and forth with our landlord here about the lease renewal you know as though i don't know corporate real estate facts and figures and what's reasonable and you know he got real butthurt and real triggered because you know he's a little boy who's in adrenal fatigue and is spinning out and i go and then i you know right when you were talking about learning how to breathe i was like oh fuck she sees me she sees me i've been breathing for the last three hours because i was like oh god and by the way, I did get the upper hand, you know, so again, we're rewarded, we're rewarded, rewarded in it. But every day you peel those layers back, every day you got to do something. You really, yeah. you know, finding practices that work for you, making this your full-time job, because then all the other stuff in your life that you think is more important than this shit actually starts working better, guys. I'm not, absolutely I'm not selling you something here. This is the hard truth. It is. It is. When the foundational pieces are operating, you're going to, you know, Everything else is going to, it's going to go easier. It's going to go better. And at minimum, you're just going to be able to support yourself better, even in the hard times. You And guess what? Hard times are here. That is an discussion for more apocalyptic yeah. guests that we have on later this week recording episodes with. But they're here and they're, they're knocking on the door and no amount of copium or opium no. is going to do for you what the real work's going to do. You're, it's it's cramps. Yes. No, he's putting fucking coal in your stocking this September. It's not, not going anywhere. Um. So let's pull a card. I mean, Alicia, okay. do you have a question or an area of focus or anything? It's not a real direct question, but I am feeling like something on the horizon. So it's more of a collective question. Like I am definitely like feeling people's things are shifting i am curious about yeah where the ship is about to go down so this is interesting i like this card this is one of those sleepers that gets overlooked it's the mm. so yeah. in a traditional like rider weight tarot deck it's the image of joan of arc with the two swords crossed over her and she right. has a blindfold on and there's the little crescent moon in the background over the body of water and we yeah. made it in our deck look like a set of antennas yeah. And the reason for that is it's the ability, and this is so apropos, it's it's almost apropos to the point, yeah, I here they are, my hair is standing on that knife, the, the goosebumps, um, finding peace and tranquility in between battles, right? Very yeah. Joan of Arc, because right. her, her advantage was not her physical strength. She was a 13-year-old girl, right? It was that she would take a time out, go inward, put up her little antennas, and get data from, in her case, the Archangels. And that's how they right. were in England. They shouldn't have been. They were definitely right. the underdog in that battle. Right. Yeah. And it's the ability to go inward, foster peace and tranquility mm-hmm. 
in the middle of war or a military campaign or whatever version right. of that is in our lives. And yeah. the funny thing about this card is it's about paradox. Like, I'm calm, but I shouldn't be. Right. Yeah. I'm doing okay, but yes. the world's coming apart. And allowing yeah. for those seemingly mutually opposed elements to yeah. exist with each other. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Richard, Richard Rudd says, um, paradox is the only way we can begin to approach truth. Rudolf Steiner said kind of almost the exact same thing, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the idea of like our world, our materialistic, and by materialistic, I don't mean consumerism, I mean focused on materiality. Yeah, like yeah. what's in front of you, right? Cartesian yeah. matter is the only reality sort of thinking is they can't with paradox. It blows right. their brain up. But paradox yeah. is reality. Yeah. And I like this card of peace and tranquility for everybody. And also the idea of putting up the antennas to see what data comes in. Because that data what sets you up for success. Yeah. And and we just to throw nervous system in there once more. The antenna, that is your nervous system listening. Yeah. And it does not listen neutrally. It listens to the program that you've inputted into it. So when your when your antennas go up to listen to the fear, to the chaos, to the dissonance, that's what you bring in. But when you learn to tune them to the harmony, to the beauty, to the support, that's what you can draw in. It's fantastic. I I think it's a it's a great card. It's a highly psychic card too. And Kids, you cannot be psychic if your nervous system is overwhelmed. True yeah. no story. <laughs> True story. That's people. We know. <laughs> well, they think there's like a button you push or something. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You have to go through all the emails in your psychic inbox. And they all have to be handled and everything has to be clean and neat. No, no metaphorical dishes in the sink and everything else. I mean, truly, you have to have a yeah. blank slate. Yeah, to put those antenna up and not have your own personal noise, right? And and exactly. and or the things you're taking in, yeah. echoing in there. Yeah, yeah. So well, good. Thank you, Alicia. And everybody, her links will be in the show notes. Reach out to her, work with her. She's yeah, she's ethical. She won't hypnotize you. She'll teach you about. <laughs> I love your reaction to it, like because all people they're like, "What's wrong with hypnotizing?" I'm like, "No, no." But someone else just really laughed that you're that casual about it. Wild man. So entitled. Thank you. All right. Thank you.